This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey, you guys, the Joyful Courage audiobook is so close to being available. I know, I know I've been talking about this for the past couple of months and acknowledging that I thought it would be ready to roll out way sooner than now. And it is really, truly, nearly here. (laughs) As a thank you for your purchase, I'm going to offer the Joyful Courage Companion Guide to everyone who purchases the audiobook through the month of November. The Companion Guide is like a little workbook that you can download and print out, and it was created to support you in taking the learning offered in the book and integrating it into your life because that is really where the magic happens, right? So I'm super, super excited. I will be sending out an email the minute I am informed that the audiobook is available on Audible and you can get the free companion guide after your purchase at joyfulcourage.com slash free guide. Okay. So if you are not currently on my mailing list, you're going to want to get on there. Go to joyfulcourage.com slash join. Okay. Do that. So you're on the list. And then the minute I find out that the book is ready to be purchased on Audible, I will send out an email and you can get your hot little hands on it. Or I should say, get your earbuds in your hot little ears and you can listen to it, right? I am so honored to continue to support you. Thank you for all the ways that you let me know that the work of Joyful Courage is making a difference in your life. Big, huge love to each and every one of you. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to Joyful Courage. I'm so glad that you're here and listening. Joyful Courage is a conscious parenting podcast, a place where I like to bring information and inspiration to the parenting journey. I'm your host, Casey, Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, I'm a parent coach. But most importantly, I am a fellow traveler on the journey of parenting. I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're listening in. This show is all about stepping into the personal growth and development that is always waiting for us here in this era of being mothers, of being fathers, of loving the kids that we have. 
while staying lovingly detached from what's showing up in their lives. I know that sounds weird, right? Being detached. Telling you, it'll change your life if you can do it. Uh, The show is designed to offer you guidance. You can take it, you can leave it. It's a buffet of information. Just listen, right? Just listen. Create your own value. Listen for nuggets that land for you. And if something doesn't, just leave it behind. It's all good. I would love to know what you think. I have many communities that you can join. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. You can join in the conversation at Live and Love with Joyful Courage on Facebook or Joyful Courage for Parents of teenagers on Facebook. So I love to be in conversation with my listeners, knowing what's going on in your life and bringing some of what you desire most, challenges that you are currently facing, bringing them onto the podcast, bringing them into these conversations so that I can be in service to you. I really hope that you enjoy this show and I'm confident that you will. Hi, podcast listeners. My guest today is Janae C. Johnson. Janae is a therapist, speaker, and author, dedicating much of her time and energy to serving adolescent girls and their families. From suffering from teen depression to being written off by her family and teachers as being just another troubled teen, Janae has always been a firm believer that at any given moment, you have the power to say, this is not how the story is going to end. Janae chose to take control of her story, choosing to dedicate her life to uplifting and empowering the leaders of tomorrow. Janae's body of work includes published books, magazine features, radio interviews, and multiple guest appearances. A lady of elegance, poise, motivation, and hope for tomorrow's leaders, Janae embodies an uplifting message and presentation style that she believes the ones coming behind her will need in order to reach their greatest potential. I had the privilege of seeing this elegance and poise in action when I sat in on Janae's session on raising Generation Z at the Diversity and Parenting Conference in Anaheim this past September and knew that I wanted to bring Janae's voice to the show. Hi, Janae. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Me too. I gave a bit of your story up in that bio, but I would love for you to fill in any gaps of your journey to doing what you do. Sure. So, you know, kind of growing up as a teen, there just wasn't a lot of conversation around feelings and emotion and what you're supposed to do with them. Although we all know that teenagers have lots of emotions, big emotions. And I was just really confused even growing up as to like, why is no one telling me what to do with all of this? Um, Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I made a lot of decisions to try to fill in those gaps for myself. And of course, as a teenager, I didn't make the best decisions. So I, I journeyed into psychology and decided that I wanted to be someone that I needed growing up. And that's what Mm. I did. And that's what I do. I am the person that I would have loved to have growing up to help me navigate my experiences. And I've worked in such a variety of settings from inpatient, outpatient, just all kinds of mental health and um, psychiatric settings. So I feel like I've seen it all. And I've settled right here where I am. And I I'm happy here. 
but I've, I've seen it all. So it's been an exciting journey. And I think my voice is a unique one because I'm a millennial and being a millennial is very different and working with like Gen Z, um, I can just speak to them in a different way that I think is very helpful for them. So it's, it's exciting. I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so interesting. So I live with a 16-year-old, as my listeners know, because I talk about it. <laughs> and it's such an interesting thing to witness, right? Because they do have these really deep, profound emotional experiences, which I think a lot of their parents write off as, you know, hormones or teen angst or drama or whatever. So they're having, it seems like, this is how I'm making sense of it. It's like, it seems like they're having these profound experiences, but they're also like relationship wise and what they're paying attention to seems almost like they're living on a more surface level. So there's these two kind of poles that they seem to have, one being like these really overwhelming emotions, but also like the surfacey, like, why did she look at me like that? And I don't like my body. And does he still like me? And oh shit, I think I failed that test. Like mm-hmm. things that don't, aren't, I mean, I'm judging, right? Aren't as <laughs> profound as like the level of profound is disproportionate. And it's so fascinating to witness. And I'm just always really grateful to anyone that works <laughs> with the kids <laughs> in this age group. Cause I'm working with the parents, you know, and I'm, and my own children, but it's just such an interesting time in the human experience, this adolescent period of time. It's wild. It's really interesting. And I think what, what has happened, and I know I talked about this in the presentation is that the term adolescent or teenager is it's a, still a fairly new concept. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we were equipped as a society to even plan and program for a teenager. I mean, the most Mm -hmm. teenagers have really is like high school. But, you know, back in the day, if you will, they were already becoming adults. It was like eighth grade and that was it. And then you're (sighs) out into the real world. And so I think when we realized that there was this transitional period, we, we said, okay, school but then there was nothing else around their development. And then yeah. we dropped the ball because what happens, they start to, they look more adult, right? Their bodies are growing. They're getting taller. They're starting to have, you know, all of these different bodily functions. And then adults are like, well, you look like me, so I should treat right. you like an adult. And it's like, ooh, we can't do that. It's a very slippery slope. So it's still a very yeah. interesting and new time pocket or term as well. So we still have a lot of work to do around um, helping teens navigate that experience and helping adults yeah. navigate it too. Totally. Because it's <laughs> like I, the, one, the conversation that I have with my 16-year-old is she'll say things like, well, I can manage it. I can manage myself, mom. Mm-hmm. And I, which is like, I absolutely 100% want to give her space to manage. And when I see that it's now four o'clock in the afternoon and she hasn't had anything to eat, that's not managing or, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's this interesting space where it's like, I'm going to give you enough room to lean in and to step into what you're saying, which is because from their perspective, that place of like, you know, I am, I can handle it. I can manage myself. And then remembering as the adult that 
this is a practice space, right? And mm-hmm. so when we practice, we make a lot of mistakes so that when they're not managing themselves, it doesn't become this back and forth where the adult is like, how dare you make, how dare you not manage yourself when you said you could manage yourself, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So feeling that tension, noticing how you feel now that it's the afternoon and you haven't had anything to eat, you know, what can you do tomorrow that's going to support you and getting food in your body earlier in the day? Because it is crazy. It is crazy to be on the other side of adolescence and have the experience that we had. Cause I was a wild teenager, not so much until I got to college, but you know, like it's hard to push aside that idea that we have, especially us Gen Xers. And we're going to talk about generations that we know because we were teenagers, like Mm -hmm. the assumptions that show up in that statement. Like I know what your experience is because I was a teenager. There's so many assumptions there, right? Because my children are, they have a totally different family system. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different time in the world, mm-hmm. right? Their school experience, like just to to assume, to have the audacity to assume that I know exactly how they feel. Like there's some themes, you know, I mean, yes. I know how I felt and there might be some overlap, but I think the adults can do a better job of backing off and really being more in the listening than in the telling. Oh, and is that course. what you're hearing from the team? Are they like, yes, oh. please listen more, tell less? Yes, please. <laughs> Can I get a double order of that? <laughs> <laughs> but not only that, I think the the space where parents miss a great opportunity is to empathize. So you mm. don't have to tell them that, you know, like, I know what you're feeling, but empathize with what they're experiencing. And you can probably relate to a situation, you know, and you kind of preface it saying things like, you know, I know that there, you know, times are a little different now. I remember when I was growing up and I had to deal with someone who didn't like me very much or, Mm -hmm. you know, how that made me feel because I think parents also like to lie and act like they never had any issues too. And I'm the outlier for that one, Janae. (laughs) an open book about my issues. Yes. Well, good. Cause I tell you parents a lot, lot, lot. And I just look at them like, yeah, you know, <laughs> school is not always, you know, a, a walk in the park for you or you struggle this here or you struggle there. And I think so many parents just don't like to go back to those times where mm-hmm. they weren't good or seen as great. And so they try to exert that power of being a parent to now like just not talk about the experiences where they were less than. Most parents, which I think is very comical, they think that if they tell their teen that they made poor choices, that the teen is going to go run out and make the same poor choice. And it's like, that's not what's going to happen. What's actually going to happen or what I've seen happen more often than not is a teen is like, oh, wow, my mom has been through something. My dad has been through something. My aunt has been through something similar. Let me listen to how they try to solve it. Maybe I can get some tips. They're not going to go out and try to make the same mistake you made. But oftentimes, we're not giving teens enough information for them to make informed decisions. And that's kind of my basis. They need information. They can make informed decisions. Yeah, but they're not idiots. They're not idiots, but they just don't get enough information either. Right. And I think there's something to be said too when we are, you know, appropriately open because there's plenty of stories that I have yet to share with my children, but they know a lot. Um, When we share, I think there's also this unspoken message of, 
I'm open to having these conversations. I'm open to talking about these tough issues. And I think also there's this opportunity for our teens to see like, oh, hey, I can, you know, if mom's willing to talk about her experience with, you know, sex and her first relationships or experimenting or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, you know, then, then maybe I can come to her and talk to her about what I'm going through or what I'm considering or I'm what I'm trying to tease apart. I just think there's an overall grander just openness and availability inside of the relationship. Would you agree with that? I agree. I definitely agree. And I I think what a lot of parents um, kind of neglect to realize is the way that to me, I'll say this in my personal working opinion and in life Mm -hmm. experience, the way that we handle teenagers really impacts their adult relationships as well. And Mm -hmm. it impacts their relationships with their parents as well. Um, And I don't think a lot of parents stop to think about that because even when we think about childhood, right? People say, Oh, did you have a good childhood? If someone says no, they're probably thinking about their teen years. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about anything before the age 11. Right. Because they're so cute and agreeable before age 11. Yes. And they're not really thinking about it. Right. It's kind of like when we talk about like, unless they've had like a lifetime of like trauma or different things like that. Most of the time, those struggles are hitting in those teen years once 13 hits. So I think it's important to consider the relationship that you want to have with your teen now and the relationship that you want to have with them as they continue to grow older and the type of relationships you want them to have as adults. because all of that is reflective on the parental relationship between teens and their families. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I could just go off on tangents with you all morning. <laughs> <laughs> I we mentioned that I could do that. I know, I think so. Um, so I mentioned that I saw you speak at the Diversity and Parenting Conference. I was super excited about your topic, um, which was raising Generation Z, and. I, and you mentioned being a millennial. I mm-hmm. noticed really quickly in your presentation how useful it was to hear from you about, you know, the issues that teens today are facing because you are one step closer to being those teens than I am <laughs> as a Gen Zer, right? I mean, I didn't have my kids until I was in my late 20s. I didn't even have a cell phone until I was like old, like maybe, yeah, like maybe (laughs) 30. Oh. Yeah. We didn't have email. I didn't have email in college. Oh. Yeah. I just turned 46. I I can't even imagine. Right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? And so it's so so interesting. It's, I know, brace yourself. But it's just so interesting because so many people that I – um, find myself reading, you know, their work or talking to what I'm noticing after t- after hearing you, recognizing how many of those people are my age, and so because mm. we are what do you what do you call us technological yes. in- immigrants? That is not mm-hmm. the term. Is that the term? <laughs> um, we're going to use it, I guess, because <laughs> I don't know the other terms. So, <laughs> well, I you, mean, I because maybe like tech implants or something. Okay. Like- I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. But that. we didn't okay. grow up with this. So now seeing our kids with it, it's like, there's this 
fear. There's this crisis. Everybody wants, you know, it's just, it, it has a much different energy to it than listening to you talk about it. Right. And so yes. can you just break down where the generate, like you don't have to go in like way back, but like Gen X. Okay. So Gen X, um, according to Pew's research begins at the age 39 through the age of 54. Yeah. So I'm smack dab in the middle of that. You are okay. smack dab in the middle of Gen X. Yes. And the millennials are how old? We're 22 to 38. So we're not even as young. Well, I mean, 23 is kind of young, but I mean, we're still not that like super young. Like we have a very large you know, like time span. We are. We're, <laughs> we are getting old. So um, it's interesting because a lot of people blame millennials for everything. And they're not you realizing that millennials are just because we're we're picking we're picking up what was already you know being put down, yeah. and so it's like a um, there's like a birth crisis because millennials aren't having children, right? And you know a housing crisis, but millennials have un- we understand that it costs way more money to take care of a family now. It costs way more to buy homes. And we are we have watched our parents and people go through, you know, risk recessions and be a part of recessions mm-hmm. and see that you can lose your home. So people mm-hmm. aren't we we just aren't necessarily interested. <laughs> um, right, you're responding to what is alive right now in our culture, basically. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I think that Gen Z as well, they're taking on that same that same vibe. So Gen Zers are very free-minded. They're not really thinking about organized religion. They're worried about the planet. They're worried Mm -hmm. about climate change. They're very fluid in their sexuality. So Gen Z Mm -hmm. is taking that ball even further. um, And they are very, very um, socially driven and conscious at a very young age. Whereas, you know, plenty of generations before, maybe not so much. And they're so Gen Z. Where's the who are the youngest Gen Zers? How old are they? The youngest Gen Zers are seven. Oh, babies. They are babies, and the generation after them will be considered alpha. Although um, a lot of researchers are not sure if they're going to continue on with generational groupings. And mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that at, at the presentation, just because the world is changing so fast. They don't know if they're really going to be able to keep up with characteristical. I don't know if that's a word, but they don't know if they're going to be able to <laughs> keep up with different groupings for generations. So are is that how the generational, like th- these phrases work? Is it like tied to global or societal events of the time where people kind of are affected by that? So they all are kind of lumped into this group. Is that how the generations are teased apart? So yes, that is one of the ways that generations are kind of teased apart. So even if you look at certain generations, you know, they had certain things that happened during them. So like Generation X, it was, um, you guys are considered like the generation of like the latchkey kids. So you were the first kids where your parents started to kind of like leave you at home so that they can go work and do different things. Um, You know, Y2K was a big thing, you know, so just... We thought yeah, things it were w- going to go down. <laughs> right. You know, women started to work more during your generation. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, there were a lot of different things that 
happened. Um, just kind of like millennials, you know, digital media really became a big thing for us. You know, a child-focused world. AIDS became a big thing. 9-11 happened when, you know, when I was in high school. So yes, generations kind of get categorized by what's happening in the world. Um, and when there are super like large and stark events, they may decide to stop a generation because maybe this is going to, you know, breed something new. So I imagine once like artificial intelligence and like robots are really roaming the earth, like in movies, that'll probably be a whole nother generational (laughs) characteristic, right? Because that's going to be different. That completely, like that generation that has that is going to be living in a completely different, completely Uh, different world we were. Uh Uh-huh. So it's pretty... It's fascinating. It's so boring, but it's also super fascinating because yeah, I think it's it really interesting. It. Yeah, so yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of you know, like just listening to you talk about just the millennials and and the passions that they have in response to where we're at as a culture and society, and where we you know global warming. This we're recording this yesterday. I can't remember her name. The gal. The young Greta. woman. Yeah, Greta. God, did you hear her mm-hmm. impassioned speech at the UN? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I listened to my own daughter who was just disgusted by the the adults, you know, and mm-hmm. warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. 
When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Anyway, so, but I think that one, so there's all of those kind of social things, but I think that, you know, what we're going to talk about today, we're finally getting to, I love talking to you, I'm excited, <laughs> um, is this whole, the tech piece is so, you know, and, and like you said, you came up with it, but now we've got, you know, kids that, you know, you see toddlers and little tiny people knowing how to get right into that phone and get what they want, watch what they want. Um, and I think for us, the Gen Xers, the parents, and I acknowledge too that a lot of people listening are not necessarily, they, there's probably millennial parents listening as well. So mm-hmm. they're probably like, okay, oh, so you're so old. But, <laughs> you know, for those of us that didn't have phones until they were really old, um, it feels really like we're, we're, we're racing to catch up and it feels so, um, foreign and we're so afraid and it's like, what about going outside? What about moving your body? And it's the technology Mm -hmm. and the phone relationship that our teenagers have that's really nerve wracking. And I read an article in the scientific journal Nature that shared a sample, 2,100 children surveyed who attended public schools in North Carolina in 2015 um, which according to the article was likely to be really representative of the, of the U S adolescent population that 48% of 11 year olds told them that they owned a mobile phone. I don't, why do they say mobile and not sell? I don't know, but, (laughs) and then among 14 year olds, it was 85%. And this is right smack in the middle of that Gen Z. And now it's four years later. Do you think that, you know, four years ago, 48% of 11 year olds, right? So 11 is like right, moving right into sixth grade where I am, that's middle school. And that seems to Mm -hmm. be, if you've managed to avoid it, it seems like middle school is when parents are finally saying like, okay, fine, I'll get you a phone. So in this case, it was 48%. Would you say that those numbers, do you think those numbers are higher now? Absolutely. So I think the other thing we have to consider is with so much violence happening in the world and school shootings and different things, parents are also finding that their kids need social, not social media, but phones for safety. Right. So they want to be able to access their child and, and text them and to know what's going on. So we can, we can love the idea of, you know, a phoneless community or society but I mean, we have to think about just the reality. Parents are having to work more mm-hmm. to cover bills and to do things. Their kids have to, you know, go to different programs and, mm-hmm. you know, we have to coordinate a lot of schedules now. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of, you know, traumatic violence happening. And you just don't know if your kid is going to be harmed in school, if there's going to be a safety shutdown or anything. And 
I can't imagine a parent not giving their kid a phone and not knowing what's going on yeah. um, if something were to happen. So I definitely think that the number is higher now, mm-hmm. just based on the, the world that we live in. Um, so I definitely think the number is higher now. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with middle schoolers having phones. Mm-hmm. But what I would like to see parents do more of is have a conversation about how they use the phone. And I don't mean just how to use it, like turn it on and turn it off. But because it's a smartphone, more than likely, everybody's getting iPhones. um, Definitely having the conversation around, you know, parental controls, Mm -hmm. you know, best ways to be on your phone. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. bedtime is still important. Mm -hmm. Um, Putting on a screen time monitor. Mm -hmm. Screen time monitors, um, shutting down certain apps. And obviously kids can find workarounds. I'm not saying that they can't, but I do think if you go into the conversation with parameters, your child remembers those parameters and they probably are not going to want to go through all of that work to find ways around the parameter. Yeah. Well, and That's I think that when, its own, but yeah. yeah, well, and there's outliers of course, but I think that there's mm-hmm. something, and I think that it's really important when we go into those conversations, I notice that, um, something that's really useful to me is, well, not useful, actually not useful, is sometimes my (laughs) tone is experienced by my kids as accusatory. Like I'm saying, like, if I say something like, hey, there's going to be boundaries, to them it feels like I'm saying, hey, don't think that you can do whatever you want (laughs) with this phone. Like they experience it. So I think it's really important too for parents listening to remember like, Going into it, assuming that your child wants to be a healthy, productive member of the world, right? However Mm -hmm. that looks to them. They have a brain, you know, they want a good life. They don't want to be, you know, addicted to their phones. So coming at it in a collaborative, conversational way versus, I know you're probably going to do all these terrible things with your phone. So here's the rules. Really matters. (laughs) And yes, I'm saying this because want to go into it that way. <laughs> I, and it's funny because, you know, even those of us that work with parents that are the quote parent educators, like we get to check, I get to check myself on this too. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. My son started at a new middle school this year. We moved and he, this school, they have really strict rules about phones staying in their lockers. Mm -hmm. They actually don't even walk around with backpacks. They all, you know, it's a pretty privileged population up here. And the school district has been able to really focus on, well, one, they have a huge focus on social emotional learning, which I love. And Every kid, I don't know if it's fifth grade and up or if it's just middle and high school, every kid gets a laptop to use throughout the year. And Mm -hmm. so that's all they need to move between classes. They don't need books. They don't need their backpacks. So no one has their backpacks. There's this level of safety or perceived safety, right? And then there's no phones. But what's fascinating is how often I pick up my phone thinking, ooh, I want to say something to Ian or I need, I have a question or and how used to being able to connect with him, even as I was like, put your phone away during class, I was texting him. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so and it's so interesting. Forget that. It's like you're mad at them because <laughs> they are on their phone, but it's like, mom, like if I don't respond, you're going to freak out. Like, I yeah. don't know what to say. Yeah. So or like, let's all look at our screen time, right? We all, we all yes. have iPhones and we all get on it and look at it. And guess what, Janae? I am right there with them. I have nothing to brag <laughs> about when it comes to looking at how much time I've spent on during, you know, I'm real quick to be like, well, my work, you know, blah. But reality <laughs> is I'm, I, you know, we all are learning, like we're the, we are when it comes to our phone use, I think adults are also, you know, we're in the adolescence of our understanding yes. of our own phone use. Exactly. Ugh. And that's such a that's such a good point because, and I think that that's why it's important for, and I like how you were able to recognize that when you're listening to people around this topic, they're from a different generation. Um, because that's what my goal is as the millennial, right? I, I struggle often in spaces because I'm fairly, I'm fairly young. Mm-hmm. I'm right, right snap, you know, dab in the middle of my millennial existence. And so it's hard for me to go into spaces where there are seasoned teachers that can probably be my mom, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm telling them, hey, let's approach it this way. Right. I did a teacher PD. <laughs> I was at a school, high school this morning um, and I was at a teacher PD and I could not even get through the presentation because the teachers in there were like, you mean to tell me you want me to do this and oh, yeah. I need to approach it. And I'm like, oh, teachers are the worst. Yes, this is what we have to do. <laughs> I'm like, because you guys have a goal, right? Right. And I always try to just make them and help them understand that. It's like, you have a goal and the things you've been doing while they may be well-intentioned, they're not working. Right. And, you know, it's very even difficult for me as the millennial to go into these spaces to try to bridge the gap between Gen Xers and maybe even the generation before them Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. Gen Z, because it is a stark difference. You know, some people remember writing on typewriters and having to write letters and, you know, penmanship is a big deal to them. These kids don't have to actually write in paper. So they don't have good handwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and And teachers are tough, man. I work with teachers too. And and there is a lot to be discouraged about. There's so many layers, right? And then you walk in or I walk in and they're like, you don't spend your days in the classroom. You don't know. And then so all that discouragement gets thrown at whoever's doing (laughs) the presentation. Yeah. And I had a brother word processor in college. That's what my parents bought me to take to college. It showed me four lines at a time. That was the screen. Uh, Yeah, dude. It was crazy. Four lines at a time. I wrote many, I spent many an all-nighter working on papers on that silly little thing. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But just <laughs> let that sink in, Janae. Um, and, and, you know, I think you're, you're hitting something here, you know, that I said it's, it's, it is different coming from somebody who's my age versus somebody that's your age. Um, and we see things like the dots that, you know, are being connected and, and there's some great resources out there for sure. And I'm, and I, you know, there is science, there's like real, you know, there's real questions to be asking about what's happening with, phones, right? And mm-hmm. we don't, history will, you know, we'll know in the future what, <laughs> what the results yeah. are, right? And, you know, and, and there's a lot of talk about 
social media and anxiety and depression and, you know, sexting and cyberbullying and just the broadcasting. Every once in a while, my kids let me sit down next to them as they go through their Snapchat stories. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, all I can think of is thank God I didn't have a way to broadcast all of the stupid Mm -hmm. shit that I did as a teenager. Like, thank Mm -hmm. God. Because I'm just amazed at the uh, unabandoned, like there's no fear around blowing bong hits at the camera on your Snapchat story or, you know, send my daughter, my kids and I actually did a podcast episode where they came and we just had a really candid conversation around social media and, you know, and listening to my daughter talk about the unsolicited dick pics that she gets. I don't know if it's, oh, yes. I don't know if it happens as much anymore because she's really cold, like she's really um, fine tuned who she follows and what it looks like and who gets to follow her. But, you know, and, and right. just like the, 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 the balls that people have to ask her for, you know, nudes. And that's just such a mm-hmm. thing for them. And, you know, and it's no wonder that all their parents are kind of freaking out or the ones that are paying attention and realize, realizing what's happening. And then the phones mm-hmm. are seen as bad, 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 bad. Right. Right. And then the phones are seen as as bad when the reality is phones are not bad. Yeah, the internet the is not bad. It's a tool. And without and that's why I said that it, that conversation is important because we should be having a conversation with our teens beforehand about what to do if you get unsolicited pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be having conversations with them to encourage them or to tell them, do not send those pictures out to anyone. Mm-hmm. Don't save them either because there are laws around that. You know, I know in PA, it's considered child pornography yeah. if you send that. Yeah. Um, even if you don't ask for the picture, if you send it, you can get charged with child pornography. Right. Um, even if you save it, you can, you know be charged with something. So I think it's important for us to have these conversations with our kids because even if our kids never get an unsolicited pick, they probably have a friend that that has. Mm-hmm. And that friend could be talking about exposing someone. Mm-hmm. And your your child may be the one to tell them, oh, do not do that. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you can go to jail for that. Right. And then, you know, just that small bit of information could save a lot of people, because if you think about the person that'll send the images, they're going to get in trouble. The person who is in the image is probably going to be embarrassed. Who knows? Suicide can come after that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it is important for us all to just take a proactive approach and have conversation around how to, the best practices of social media, the best practices of having a phone, Mm -hmm. um, and I think we just need to be doing that more frequently than we are yeah. because we are expecting our kids to know how to navigate and they don't. A lot of our kids are innocent. They don't really know that someone is trying to get to them mm-hmm. or that they're oversharing could be giving someone too much information about their life. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily think that. They look at it as, oh, I'm just chatting with my friends. My friends get to see what's going on. Not that. So does everyone else. Right. My 657 (laughs) friends on Instagram. That really aren't your full (laughs) friends. But like you said, they're your friends on Instagram. And you don't realize that um, one of the schools I work with, they have a no cell phone policy. But someone kept sneaking their phone in and was snapping on Snapchat during school hours. One of the other students 
wanted revenge and told Mm -hmm. that they had snack, you know, they had their phone. And then what did the school do? All the school had to do was go look on their Snapchat to see that they are posting in their uniform in the bathroom and they printed out those pictures and there was a whole meeting, (laughs) you know? So it is just like our youth don't realize that everyone else still has access to what's being posted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what do you see? Yeah, I do. (laughs) do They're hilarious. Um, We, yeah, just last night I was sitting downstairs and I could hear this like crying and I thought, oh gosh, what's happening? But it sounded just, it didn't sound like it was, it sounded like it was coming from my daughter's room, but it, I couldn't figure out what was happening. So I called up to her and then I heard her voice. And then I realized that she was watching someone's story who was just Mm. going, you know, having a rough time and falling apart. And I was like, oh gosh, is everything okay? And she's like, mom, people cry, let it go. You know, I was like, (laughs) okay, just just checking to see if anyone needs support, you know, but what do you see? So you work primarily, do you work primarily with, when you have clients, is it mostly teen mm-hmm. girls? Mostly teen girls, yes. Yeah. Um, although I do some consulting and contractual work in the middle school, mm-hmm. and I see boys. I have a lot of boys on my caseload there mm-hmm. in the middle school. What are you seeing as some of the the big issue, like the themes that show up with the teens and the families that you serve? Uh, this is so. This is a great question, and it's different for each. Um, age demo. Mm -hmm. So in my private practice, I am dealing with a lot of, how do I want to put this? Kind of like identity issues and heavy parental expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of Gen X parents are expecting their teens to be really hardcore on education and getting a good job, Mm -hmm. like getting a good steady job. And Gen Zers do not care mm-hmm. <laughs> about that because they do not see our economy and our job market as stable. Mm-hmm. They are not deciding to work for companies long term. It actually is an outdated concept. Right. If we're going to be honest, it's truly an outdated concept. There, we, there aren't any factories that people are actually working in to produce all of this stuff. It's, it's an outdated U.S. concept for work anyway. So you have a lot of parents that are not wanting to allow the social aspect of their lives to be in the forefront mm-hmm. because they they are still attached to this, um, you know, large education, get a good job kind of mindset. And the teen is greatly, greatly rebelling against that mm-hmm. ideology. Oh, I'm totally experiencing so, that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... They're like, what's the point? I mean, and, and if we look at this, um, even for me, having a whole master's degree and when I worked at an agency, you know, they only wanted to pay me $40,000. Mm. And I'm like, that's too, like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Me going to school costs more than this. Right. Yeah, this is all you want to pay me. And so, and then, and then they don't really support you in any other area. So I think our youth are noticing that their jobs are not loyal to their employees and they're not flexible. And it's, it's like three or four jobs rolled into one right. for a little pay and they still can't enjoy their lives. And so our youth don't want to go to, not that they don't want to go to college, but they're not interested in that debt. 
you know, they're not going to be the generation to work a job 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. and retire there. Mm -hmm. That's definitely not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we should be more open to that. So do you think, think, because I'm in it, sorry to interrupt you. It's okay. (laughs) I'm in it with my daughter and she's, you know, she's taken kind of an alternative path, which my listeners have heard me talk about where she did freshman year in a traditional public high school. She did sophomore year online. And then actually Mm -hmm. tomorrow, she starts in a program out here in Washington state. It's called Running Start. And it's an option where juniors and seniors in high school can take all their classes at the local community college and in two years earn their high school diploma and their AA. Nice. Yeah. And she is like, I'm going to do this and then I'm done. And I, she has no desire to go to like a, have like the four-year college experience, which doesn't surprise me because she also opted out of high school. Um, and I really feel like, and I, and I, I'm curious if this is a generational thing or if this is unique to her, but she's someone who really needs to like feel the rub or feel the tension of life to cho- to make a choice mm. versus me saying, well, you have to go to college because that's what people do. And you mm-hmm. have to, like, basically that's what I've got. Like you have to, <laughs> you right. know, that she's, <laughs> like, she's like, actually like, oh, I don't, you know, that's been our right. ongoing <laughs> lesson of life is like, actually you don't control me. I control me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, is that something that you see with your clients, like that need to actually feel the tension of the world versus just do what your parents say? Is that a generational thing? For sure. It's definitely a generational thing. But here's what I want the older generation to think about. Okay, thank you. I feel like the older generation should also think about how they would have also loved that from their parents. Yeah. A lot of the time, older generations are just doing what their parents did to them. And because they feel they turned out okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to just do the same thing to my right. child. And I think our youth are finally pushing back on this concept because they're very emotionally intelligent. Mm -hmm. So they're able to recognize that isn't going to necessarily bring me joy. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me feel good. I'm not about to live a life where I'm not even happy with what I'm doing for someone else. And I think that that's a great thing. Again, I just think it, I feel it just needs to be refined. So instead of, you know, parents getting into arguments or disagreements with their teen about them not going to college, just nurturing their interests, um, helping them understand and navigate what it is that they, that they want to do, helping them just make healthy long-term and life decisions. They can decide to go to college at a different time. Mm -hmm. College does not have to happen right after high school. Mm -hmm. They could take a year break Mm -hmm. Um, because it's a lot when you're in high school, trying to get through your high school work and you're trying to apply for scholarships and you're trying to get good grades Mm -hmm. and you're taking exams to get into colleges, that touring, that's a lot of pressure. Um, and then you have this added component of social media where, um, you get to see people going to college and it looks all perfect and pretty and paint. And it's just like, oh my gosh, it can be a lot to digest. So I think I, you know, want older generations to understand that, you know, you guys also deserved a space to be yourself and to make your own decisions. And it's a great 
thing that you have the opportunity to give that to your team. Now. Yeah. And that it's a, and it's a, I don't want to say it's a safer world, but I feel like it's a safer world where they can find ways to make their own money and make their own living without factories. Mm-hmm. You know, people, it was like, that's all you had before you worked at the factory and that right. was it. Um, and so now there is a world where they can make money online mm-hmm. in their sleep, marketing, mm-hmm. doing the things that they do every day. Like all businesses look to the teen culture yeah. because teens are just creative yeah. naturally. Right. Most of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think too, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, when I think about, I went to college, I was still 17 years old. I turned cause my birthday is mid September. I was 17 went to college, totally went off the rails. I didn't have space to really nurture who I was in my during high school. It just wasn't really mm-hmm. like, there just wasn't space for me to kind of explore and go through individuation. And so it happened in college and I nearly failed out, blah, 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 whatever. I pulled it off everyone. So, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I, you know, really those first four years were a huge party. And it's, amazing when we can provide space for our kids to explore who they are and navigate, you know, what they want. Like, I love what you said about nurturing their interests. I love what you said Mm -hmm. around, like, they are actually, you know, if you look at any company right now, the biggest things that they're doing are, you know, social media marketing, getting online. And that is what our kids have grown up with. So they have some pretty amazing skills built in. And you're right. It might not, mm-hmm. they might not need college and, right. or they might. And how, what an amazing opportunity for them to recognize like, ooh, ooh, I want to do this thing. And then have the world say, well, we'd love for you to do this thing, but you need to go and study this so that you are ready for mm-hmm. it. Versus, like I said, mom and dad's or mom and whoever, or dad or whatever the caregiver role is saying, no, this is what you have to do. And you have to do it right now because this is what you do. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. Mm. 
So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. You know, it's such a different... And I think that going in, like once I decided I was going to be a teacher and I went back to school, (laughs) it turned out it was really easy to pull a 4.0. I just had to show up and listen. And I was interested, you know, versus college, which, and I recognize and I own that I had, you know, it was a huge privilege for me to be able to go to college and goof off and I didn't have to work. I mean, it was pretty much handed to me. Um, and that mm-hmm. is not every college student's experience. And, um, right. but taking it on, like getting the loans and going back to school and doing it on my own made such a huge difference to how I showed up to that. And I, yeah. Absolutely. And I think we can trust our kids. Right. Yes. I love that you said that. That's important to trust them and to trust their journey and their path because, What you want them to do, um, which I'm always a believer in, is you want them to be able to trust themselves. And if as the parent, you're constantly making the choices for them, you're almost telling them that you don't think that they can make good decisions. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. You're basically telling them that, like basically. And then at at some point, they stop believing that they can make good decisions. That's why we see, you know, kids who struggle to launch. And parents are like, well, what happened? Why aren't they launching? I'm like, because you made every choice mm-hmm. for them. They never, when they, when it was the time for them to explore and navigate decision-making in a safe and healthy environment, you, you took the yeah. lead. And when you took the lead, you took away their autonomy and their thought that they could have autonomy and make good decisions. Now they're relying on you for everything. Yeah. You clip their wings yeah. off. And it's very hard for wings to grow back without some sort of trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, disengagement. Um, And we don't need to go down that path if we don't have to go down that path. Um, And I do think parents just have to kind of be honest with themselves and recognize your children may not need a college degree for what they plan Mm -hmm. to do with their Mm -hmm. lives. And if you allow, if you give them an opportunity to say, hey, if you want, okay, you want to do this career? Google how to get into the industry. And when they Google how to get into the industry, then they'll come across some information that says, oh, you need a degree, you need Mm -hmm. this or that. And then they'll say, okay, well, now I can go to college with a purpose versus going just to go because I may like psychology. That's not going to cut it. (laughs) You can't just may like it for however much money. So it's kind of like, you really want to make sure that you're exposing them and that you're helping them navigate, like, okay, you want to be a music producer? Google mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, how can you do it? You want to be an actress? What are some things you can do to get there? What are some things you mm-hmm. can do now? Because they can start acting mm-hmm. now, right? Wherever they are, putting some clips on YouTube and doing different things like that. So I think we have to, and I think it's a generational difference, yeah. right? around what it was like. You know, I hear a lot of Gen Xers and, you know, generation before that say, you guys need to get out and go fill out job applications. You need to go to the place. And it's like, places don't have paper applications. You do them online. I know, it's so (laughs) weird. I don't even need to walk into a store and I know, my daughter just went through this, (laughs) Janae. And I was like, 
because I, the things, the jobs, the programs, the things that I've been able to do in my life, my resume and application wasn't what got me in the door. I am a, I am a kick-ass interview. Like I can show up and make mm-hmm. people fall in love with me. And that was my gift. And so when my daughter's like, oh, I just signed up online. I'm like, but how, how will they know who you are? It's so weird, but I, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing what you're saying. It's just the way that it is now. So, um, so, and I also want to just acknowledge too, that I am, you know, a middle-class white woman raising two able-bodied middle-class white kids. Mm-hmm. How do, and I know that the population that you work with is primarily teens of color. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how does yes. this conversation vary or does it when, um, because I am always trying to expand how I understand the world and and different people's experiences. So how does, what are the challenges sounding like and how are they, what are the variances when we're talking about teens of color, families of color? What are the challenges there? Um, so there can be a lot of challenges um, in both areas. So college can seem like a good idea because maybe um, this child could be the first child mm-hmm. to go to college in mm-hmm. that family. But then that could also bring different barriers because if they're the first child to go to that family, they can feel added pressure to mm-hmm. get it right, to go, although they may not want to go. Um, and then they can also struggle with support because college is a lot, doing FAFSAs, mm-hmm. writing essays, remembering deadlines. And if you have a family that hasn't had those experiences, they may not know how to support right. you. Um, or you may have a parent or a family that is very well aware of college and they couldn't make it happen for themselves. And so now they're excessively pushing right. you to go. And maybe you don't want to go at all. Maybe you don't want to go to... I. Um, Maybe you don't want to go to the school that they want you to go to. Um, And so, you know, I've dealt with girls who may not have been as academically um, smart or savvy as their Mm -hmm. parents were. And so the parents were wanting her to go to like an Ivy League type of school. And she's like, I would feel more comfortable going to like a community Mm -hmm. college first and getting my feet wet with college, period. Um, And so we had to just work through what that would look like for her to own up to that, to honor that about herself, and then to tell her parents that. Um, So there can be a lot of barriers there. Um, And we do um, idolize college a lot. And a lot of kids in the inner inner cities may not get a chance Mm -hmm. to go. But that doesn't mean that they can't have a good quality Mm -hmm. of life. And I think that we often neglect to talk about trades. So I like to make sure I'm talking about trades. Like plumbing is a big business. And you don't have to necessarily go to college for that. You can go to a trade school, but plumbing is going to be in existence right. forever. Yeah, yeah. So good job, security. You know, for sure. Yeah. It just right, and it's like we talk about degrees with all of these loans, and then we have all of this debt hanging over our head, and a job still may not pay right. me enough money. So I I think that um, in inner cities and with you know people of color, we have you know there's this other conversation around. How else can they just have a, a good quality of life that doesn't right. include college? Because it is yeah. expensive. And um, a lot of people of color don't have access to like family wealth mm-hmm. and, you know, those yeah. different things. Or what's the other thing that they have kind of like, um, like family, if, a, if someone right, went alum. to a school, then like their child can go to right. that school. Like that's not really happening in our communities and some, some parts of our community, but not all. 
Yeah. And I think it's really important for my white listeners to recognize, because we don't always think about that, like Mm -hmm. those different, the the privileges that we have can feel subtle because it's just a part of our experience. And so thank you for bringing that up. What about with the screens? Do you see any challenges or things showing up in your clients that maybe is different or more intense or less intense? Or what are you noticing when you kind of, um, ugh, I'm being awkward in how I'm using language right now, but <laughs> it's okay. You know, I mean, cause I think a lot of and what I'm learning in my own growth and understanding of my own race and privilege is that like, you know, even at the conference that we were at, like so much of the Reese, the, the quote research and, and the books and everything, it's really geared towards the white experience, white families, mm-hmm. you know, white people. And mm-hmm. so do you find that there's, um, do you come across information and read it and think, well, this might be what it looks like for the, for white culture, but as far as like, teens of color. It looks a little bit different. Are there any places like that when we're talking about teens and screens? So uh, in terms of screenings, um, no, like they're so, um, yeah. so, so let me back up. I'll they're say all on this. Snapchat, they're all sending sex. Right? They're, they're all, all there, but vaping on their stories, you know? So I think what ends up happening is a lot of the screening tools and like different things that are out there were created by you know, white, cis, heterosexual, you know, men. Mm -hmm. So even when we look Mm -hmm. at, you know, psychological things, the DSM, all of that was created that way. So I think it takes usually a clinician of color to be able to, that understands the culture to help navigate what's happening differently um, and be able to have, so, you know, like the rate of suicide has gone up in black youth. It's almost doubled Mm -hmm. and everyone is confused. They're like, well, why? What's happening? What's the issue? And I'm like, I mean, it's the same issues that have been there, but teens have access to understand, oh, I can commit suicide and deal with this Mm -hmm. myself. Where before Mm -hmm. um, our youth may have done other things or our people, you know, may have drank themselves, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to death, if you will, or, you know, they didn't know that they can do these different things. So it is, it is like some cultural, comp- there are cult- cultural components that are not always spread out or talked about in terms of mm-hmm. what, it, even sometimes with cell phones. So some families don't have cell phones. And so if, you're, if your child is going to a, a better school, quote unquote, or a good school, and they require mm-hmm. that, that kid could fall behind in their work. Because if everything is Google Classroom, but we may not be able to keep my bill on or the phone bill, the phone bill paid, I may not get a chance to do my work. And I may not be able to stay after school because I have to go get my siblings. So there are so many different layers that we do have to be mindful of when we are um, talking about people in different cultures and, you know, what's to be expected or what that family of origin looks like because sometimes families include mom, a grandmom and an aunt. There may not be mm-hmm. a dad or there may be a dad and an aunt and, and not a mom. So mm-hmm. we do just kind of have to be mindful of all of those different things. And in terms of screening, screening tools, it's just really up to the clinician, um, honestly, or the person working with the family to ask them about, you know, their cultural differences and communicate right. with them in a way and hear them when they tell you what they are and um, 
you know, use that information for them, not against them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing time and space with me and having this conversation. I really value your voice. Thank you. You're um, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, and I always end my interviews with a, the same question, which is because my the name of my business is Joyful Courage. Mm-hmm. So Janae, my question to you is, what does joyful courage mean to you in the context of doing the work that you do? Uh, so joyful courage means to me that although it can be rough to have certain conversations and to pull out some of the you know, darker sides of life, I find joy knowing that once we pull them out, they get a chance Mm. to see the light. And Mm. from there, everything goes up and up. So that's that's what it means to me. You got to have the courage to pull it out, but then you're happy because it's out. And once it's out, it can breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Thank you. Where can listeners find you and follow your work? Yeah. So, um, everyone can follow and find me on teen, um, talk therapy. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can probably find me on Twitter more, but also on Instagram. So just connect with me, feel free to send any messages. Um, and my email is linked to all of those accounts as well. If you want a little bit more conversation. Yay. And you is teentalktherapy.com is your website, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Yay. Well, I will make sure that all of those things are in the show notes. And again, thank you, Janae. Thank you. Hey, yay. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate every single one of you and the ways that you show up for joyful courage. Thank you. And did you know there are ways that you can give back? I have a Patreon page, which is a place where you basically can donate one, five or $10 towards the sustainability of the program. And just as a way to say thank you. And you can check that out at patreon.com slash joyful courage. That's www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. I have some benefits and bonuses for people that are in my Patreon community. You can also let me know what you think by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, leaving me a five-star rating and a review. I love to read the reviews on air. So whenever I get a new review, I share it. And it really just helps me know what you love about this podcast. What is landing for you? What is useful? Like I mentioned at the top, I am active on Instagram and Facebook, both places you can find me at Joyful Courage. And please know that you're always welcome to join into my Facebook groups, Live in Love with Joyful Courage, as well as Joyful Courage for Parents of Teens. Yes, 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 yes. We're back in the weekly mode. So I'll be back next week. Can't wait to have you listen again. Until then, Take a deep breath, follow it into your body. Take a moment to notice what's currently alive for you. Imagine that you can take the balcony seat for a higher perspective of whatever is currently going on in your life and trust that everyone's gonna be okay.
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.